Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me for this supersized edition of the podcast, uh, Mr. Akshaz Devadula. Akshaz, how are we doing, sir? We're doing great. You know, a little excited to get a Sunday where I'm not watching the Niners so I can watch all the other teams. That's always fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, this will be the first Thursday night I actually pay a ton of attention to. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm busy sometimes, so. <laughs> when I was younger, this would be my favorite thing is when they would play Thursday or Monday because you get the local channels on your TV to sit down and see all the other teams in the league for once. Right. So it's a fun time, but, you know, I think the Internet's changed all that. So now it's more grumbling about the fact that they have to play <laughs> on a short week. The, this is true. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. The the. And this is probably an East Coast thing, but the, the primetime games are a little annoying from my perspective because they it's, they start real late, right? Uh, <laughs> um, like 8.30. Uh, and so by the time they're done, it's you know pushing midnight and you're like, oh, gosh. Uh, especially on the, the, the Monday night games where you're like, oh, we got to go to work tomorrow. Um, but, you know, it, it's also nice because that means you can watch the games from the comfort of your own home as opposed to trudging out to go watch somewhere. I think I was talking about that earlier um, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the season. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm hit or miss on it. I'm also a little bummed that this is the second, this is the first of two um, Thursday night games coming up for the 49ers this season, because I guess we're special or something. I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know that I treat it that way, but we'll, um, that will be a later in the season thing to, to be concerned about for now. Um, we're gonna, as I mentioned, this is gonna be a supersized episode because we don't have time to record twice, um, in the time span between now and the game. So we're just gonna try to cover both the, um, the, uh, sort of recap of the Rams game and a, uh, kind of a mini, mini version, I think of the preview. We'll see how that goes, or it may just be a really long episode and you can sort of stretch it out over the next couple of days. So feel free to do that, but definitely listen to the end. Cause that's really helpful for us. Um, so the, the Niners, uh, of course, run their record to two and O with a, I, I think fair to say nervy, but ultimately successful victory on the quote unquote road against the Rams in Los Angeles. Um, suppose that, that was a road game, right? Not right. Akshas? Is that, is that correct? That's what they told me, but you know, <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you couldn't convince me that it was when you were watching. Yeah. Even from my perspective, again, I had to go out to watch, to watch the game, um, at a, uh, a local establishment and with no sounds, but it's pretty clear. Like they're just showing it. And it's like, Oh, there's not that many, uh, Rams fans here. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I saw somebody joking, jokingly on the internet was like, uh, "There's they Fox must have a guy, uh, must be paying a guy to to be locating the Rams fans to make it appear as if there are people here who actually care about it," um, which is super sad. Actually, the other funny thing I don't know if you saw this, uh, if you noticed this during the game, but they showed. Um, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, and they were dressed up in, in their Rams jerseys that look like they just bought them that day. Um, and then they showed poor Jeremy Renner, who is a 49ers fan, dressed in just sort of normal clothing. Uh, it's like, 
that was mean. He didn't let him wear the, <laughs> wear the wear something for the team that he actually likes. He just invited him to come sit there and have to be quiet. I don't know how that worked out, but uh, nonetheless. Um, <laughs> so yeah, two two and zero for the for the Niners to start the season, and of course, um, they will have their home opener on Thursday night, which we'll get into in just a little bit. Um, last week was a was a was a good healthy week we talked about that this is a mostly healthy week i think from a 49ers perspective um just a couple of of injuries to be on the watch out for um first of all sam womack i believe goes he was put on the injured reserve before the game started um i think i read and i don't know actually correct me if you saw something differently that this they're thinking this could be like a long-term injury like a six to eight week kind of thing so um most of his season could be um in jeopardy uh, with a knee injury. So that's that's not great. Um, they did sign former Cowboys quarter cornerback Anthony Brown um, just as a, a defensive back depth kind of kind of piece. Um, well, Mac obviously was not a, a, a starter in this defense, um, but I think he was a, a key piece. But, um, you know, if Isaiah Oliver continues to contribute like he did on uh, on Sunday, then I think they'll be OK. Um, I don't I'm not. Not, I don't really know anything about Brown or, or his background or much beyond just what I read on the 49ers website about the signing. But, you know, at this point, it's just kind of a depth guy. Um, unfortunately, uh, they had to make that play because Quantrez Knight got snatched up off the practice squad by the Cardinals, who are just just at this point exist, I, I think, just to take our players from the practice squad. That's the only thing I can assume at this juncture because they're not really doing anything else. Um, and then, of course, Brandon Ayuk with a shoulder injury, um, clearly something that he that happened really early on in the game and was kind of impacting him uh, through most of the, the game on Sunday. He gutted it, gutted it out. Um, Shanahan seems to be it, seems to think it's just a matter of, pain tolerance at this point um and what this as far as whether or not he can go on thursday i don't know i'm sort of mixed feelings on that about whether or not putting him out there on thursday night on such short rest at this juncture in the season makes sense i don't don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah i think you dress him for sure but i don't know if you play him that would be my mentality maybe you call up um chris Connolly from the practice squad yeah. And I think you kind of like see how the game goes. And if you need him to come in for a few plays, go for it. But otherwise, I wouldn't really rely on him too much. You know, it's in a big season. There are a lot of important games on the horizon. And we can already circle week five. And mm-hmm. as we'll get to into the kind of preview portion, I don't know if you necessarily need a Brandon Ayuk to win this game against the Giants. And at this point, you know, I think we've had a lot of discussion about these first two games of the season. It's been a lot of like reliance on your stars to get things like going. It might be a good time to see some of the depth really play a role. Like mm-hmm. Ronnie Bell's been popping up. He's the Ayuk essentially Ayuk replacement. He's that first receiver up if any of the main guys are out. I would love for him to get a chance to really show himself on a regular season game. Yeah, I'm all for that. Um, saw a lot more, I think, Jawan Jennings in this game against the Rams than we did in week one. Um, yeah, uh, and obviously we'll talk about the the sudden uh, reemergence of Devo Samuel to no one's surprise against the Rams uh, <laughs> as well. Um, but there, did I miss any? I think that was pretty much that's the main injury situation for the for the Niners at this particular point. Um, 
So they seem to be in pretty good, pretty good health at this juncture, um, which is good. You know, you just want to continue to trek forward, as you said, long season, um, lots of probably more important games coming up throughout the, the rest of the season. Um, so something to watch out for. So let's um, let's let's chat uh, and move into the recap in a little more detail then with our uh, one up, one down section. So Akshazo, I'll kick it to you for our uh, for your up for the game. I would have to say Steve Wilkes. I think, um, you know, D'Amico Ryans was a fantastic defensive coordinator and someone that the team really gelled with. And Wilkes was kind of the smart replacement if you couldn't get Vic Fangio and really get a genius back there. Like, Fangio would have changed a bunch of things, but Wilkes kind of came in under the condition that he keeps the structure of the team intact, the structure of the scheme intact. Against the Steelers, he didn't really have to do much himself, you know. You just you call like cover three, cover four, Bosara Hargrave gets to pick it, the pass goes awry, you win the game. But against the Rams in the first half, you know, we saw a lot of open receivers. And in the second half, the defense really switched it because of Wilkes's kind of decision to bring pressure constantly. I mean, there were corner blitzes, linebacker blitzes, safety blitzes. Five guys were rushing Stafford constantly. And I think that's a really huge part of how the 49ers were able to overcome some of their other defensive, like, say, like, issues throughout the first half. And I think, like, if you were ever wondering, like, what can Steve Wilkes add to this team? How does he make this defense better? I think it's that right there. His blitz package is really quite good. Like, there were a couple free rushers. Fred Warner had the 49ers only sack. Charverius Mooney Ward completely whiffed on Stafford, but he still got there, right, untouched. So lots of good blitzes. I think a really good way to throw a quarterback who's playing really well in Stafford off kilter for a little bit, and it paid off with a victory. Yeah, um, I think that was that was certainly a, an adjustment that needed to be made. So certainly kudos to, to Wilkes for recognizing the fact that what they were doing just wasn't working. Um, I don't know. I, I guess that's sort of one of the the inside football type of things that we'll just never know. Like, you know, like it, it seems from a fan's perspective, you're you're watching the game and you're like, why do they keep doing the same thing? Um, but it, I, my only explanation is that it can't be that easy in game to just kind of switch things up and be like, all right, we're gonna just do some, do something different. Um, and so, you know, kudos to them for. For looking at the at the way things are going, saying okay, this Rams offense is able to do whatever it's whatever it wants, um, we gotta we gotta force the issue, and and they really they really did. Um, so I think a real uh, real effective job there from uh, from Wilkes. Uh, for me, I am going to go with the the two headed offensive monster of Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, who I mentioned earlier. Um, McCaffrey finished the game 20 carries for 116 yards, which is actually like a really low number considering <laughs> that he had a 51 yarder, which means that the rest of his carries were not super effective, right? Whatever that number is, it's 19 for 60 something, which is not, not super. Um, but that, that 51 yard rush was, was fantastic. And the way that, gosh, Akella Witherspoon just made an absolute turd of himself throughout much of this game. Uh, this was the first instance where he got 
stiff-armed by a smaller guy and then proceeded to get into his face and was told in not so certain terms that he needed to back off. Um, and then later, is, if I'm not mistaken, he got pancaked by Ronnie Bell, who you mentioned. Um, and then, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this video, but it's pretty funny. Uh, Bell pancaked him and then proceeded to kind of get on top of him. Now, Ronnie Bell's not a big guy, um, especially compared to Witherspoon, who's you know probably a little bit bigger than him. And Witherspoon, the only way he could get off of him was by just kind of flipping Bell over. And and then and then the funniest part is that Ronnie Bell just walks off the field because the play's over and he's like, okay, gotta go. And it's pretty funny. Um, if you haven't seen that video, I'd recommend trying to find it um, because it's very the the end of it is the funniest part where Ronnie Bell's like, okay, well, see you later. Like he just walks off, doesn't acknowledge the fact that Akello Witherspoon just threw him off him. So um, thanks for that, Akello, for for those moments um McCaffrey obviously with a touchdown as well Debo Samuel carried the ball five times for 38 yards and a touchdown and also had six catches for 63 yards um and um no touchdowns there but uh there you go um yeah it was just good to see as we mentioned Ayuk wasn't able to be as effective as he was um in the previous game obviously not even close just three catches for 43 yards um, we expect McCaffrey to be a big part of this offense every week, but um, I think it's uh, certainly good to see that that Samuel, who by his own um, accounts didn't like the way that he played last year, and the fact that he uh, was able to step up, recognize that that Ayuk was hurting, and that he needed to do to have a bigger part of this team, and um, this week that was something that he was able to do. So, um, kudos to the both of them. Uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm a little concerned about the 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 Christian McCaffrey overuse thing. He had uh, 23 total touches um, on the day, which is not an outrageous number. Uh, but we also have to uh, start figuring out ways. And can't, Kyle Shanahan said this after the game that he needed to to call Elijah Mitchell's number and get him on the field to kind of just give McCaffrey a spell, but also just to get Mitchell on the field. So, um, but I liked the games from both McCaffrey and Debo on this day. Absolutely. I think Debo has an extra gear against the Rams that like amazes me, but he is like, he is on it against the Rams. And I think it's super important that he had this kind of game to get him back into rhythm. You know, it's fascinating because in 2020, 2020, no, 2021, 2022, sorry. The year, essentially, that um, Debo willed the Niners to the NFC Championship game, it was, like, by far and away, he was the best player, offensive player on that team. He did everything. And it's interesting that now, you know, I think, like, almost universally, any 49ers, like, person you talk to, they'd be like, oh, yeah, Brandon Ike's the better player. Like, that's not even a a question anymore. So Debo kind of getting that, getting that next step for him, I think is very important just for not only for like his own, like confidence in himself. I'm sure he's a very confident player. He plays like it all the time, but he adds a different element to this offense that both Ayuk and McCaffrey don't really bring. And that's this like uber physical style. Like I'm not saying Ayuk isn't physical or McCaffrey isn't physical, but Debo, he will, he will run someone over. That's like his MO. And, you know, George Kittle hasn't been able to get as involved due to, like, chipping, pass protection, and also, like, teams really key in on him. So 
Debug being that consistent weapon to offset McCaffrey and Ayuk is a huge deal for this team. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I, I'm sure that that uh, Kittle's day will come when teams are like, okay, well, we're tired of Ayuk beating us, and we're tired of McCaffrey beating us, and we're tired of <laughs> of Debo Samuel beating us. And okay, fine. I guess we'll like like. It's like I said last week. There's if if these if all four of those guys are healthy, plus the the other depth pieces. You know, John Jennings had a couple of catches on on Sunday. Um, as you mentioned, uh, be nice to see Ronnie Bell get a get a real run in in the offense. Elijah Mitchell getting out there. It it just feels like there's there's always something else coming at you. So from a defensive perspective, this cannot be a fun uh, game at all. Um, for 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 oppositions, but I'm okay with it. It makes me feel good. So, all right. Um, so let's, <laughs> let's talk about the, the downs. What, what, what did we not like from this one? Uh, Akshas? So it has to be the first half defensive performance. I think the 49ers corners were just way too soft in coverage. This was apparently predicated on the fact that the Niners thought that their defensive line would get the same consistent pressure as they did against the Steelers. And when that didn't happen, they had to pivot in the second half. But regardless, I didn't think it was a particularly good effort in the first half at all. From the secondary, I thought everyone was too passive, played on their heels too much. I think Puka Nakua, who did end up playing, I know on our preview, we had kind of discussed the possibility of him not playing. It, like he's he seems like a great player for sure and absolutely someone to look out for in the future but i'm not saying that i couldn't have gotten but i think i could have gotten like a couple catches against the way the niners <laughs> were playing defense like the amount of space in the zone to just sit down get a catch and it's seven yards immediately that's just simply it's too much it's not good enough and i think that's where things need to change for them it's just like Get more aggressive all around. It shouldn't just be that like our defensive line is being more aggressive, so then our um, secondary can kind of play back and take advantage. I think all parts of the defense should be in attack mode. And I think the secondary has enough pieces to maybe get that done. Definitely, it's the weak point of the overall defense. But, you know, you can't do what you did against the Rams, against other teams, because those blitzes don't always work. It didn't always work against the Rams. And, you know, it took a lucky interception when Kyron Williams dropped the ball and Isaiah Oliver was able to grab it to kind of get yourself in position to win this game. So definitely something to clean up there. Yeah, um, I was right there with you. I wrote down the, the same thing that that the the reliance on the zone defense early on that obviously I mean, they they must have seen something that suggested that was the way to go. But, at the, you know, at the same time, after that first quarter, you would have thought, gosh, guys, this is just not functioning. And like I said before, maybe it's maybe it's more difficult to make that kind of wholesale uh, defensive scheme change in the middle of the game uh, or in the middle of, a, of the half like that. I, I have no idea what the operations of that are or anything like that. But, um, yeah, it certainly was concerning and it was good that they they got they started to put the clamps on early in the in the second half um i mean you could tell pretty much as as you noted earlier from like the first drive of the second and half like oh something okay all right something's changed here right they've they've they figured out what they need to do and how they can how can they attack this a little better so 
that was nice. And obviously it, it really coincided with the just kind of down third quarter altogether. Um, there was three total points scored in the third quarter, uh, courtesy of uh, of uh, Mr. Jake Moody and his very, very, very strong leg, as it turns out. Um, and that was it. It was at the end of the third quarter. So it was both defenses kind of figuring the other one out for a little bit um, before the Niners kind of uh, clamped in and on their own offensive side in the second half. But we we we, we got to talk about um, the the other thing, which for me was something that is concerning. But I, I don't know if it's like a long term concerning thing, but it is something to put on the radar. And that is Brock Purdy and his suddenly powerful arm, I guess. <laughs> so uh, he had three notable overthrows of his receivers. Um, one early in the game when Ayuk actually just totally cooked his defender and was was open and uh, Brock just needed to put it on him and he couldn't. Um, one later in the game on a third down play, um, th- that was probably the most difficult throw to make uh, to Jennings, uh, but it's probably one that you would expect him to make. And the, the the one that was the most egregious to me was the the one later in the game when um when when Debo is just wide open down the field and he definitely scores um if you if he if he puts it on him. Uh Jennings, if it's on him, it's a difficult catch. It's a first down at best um kind of situation. I'm I think Ayuk scores on his, but it's not a definite thing. But if if he makes a good throw to to, to Debo on that on that that later pass it's 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 six all the way there's absolutely no uh no issue there um and obviously it didn't it didn't end up hurting them in this particular game um but is it is it a concern that is something are we looking at that and we're going okay this is not something that we were thinking was an issue but it clearly has come into play i, I don't know what 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 do we think i think it is a concern i mean so i in the game grades for Last game, I mentioned that if this is Brock Purdy's worst game ever, he's a Hall of Famer, and you know, we're we're talking about one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Because for this to be, because this is probably definitively his worst game as a 49ers quarterback, mm-hmm. and it was like totally fine. It's like a very average to slightly above average performance from him. But I think there is some concern just because if there's one thing Purdy has struggled with it's these deep balls I think his deep accuracy isn't always the cleanest and typically that manifests because you know the refrain on him is his arm strength he underthrows guys but I think at the same time if he knows he has to really put effort to get the ball over there you kind of, I feel like you would lose some control over the touch and placement of it. And I think that's what we saw is that he kind of, in the effort to make sure that he could get the ball to where it had to go, he wasn't able to correctly place it. I think it's a big deal because, you know, the Niners have definitely had a quarterback for the last couple of years <laughs> that I think wasn't able to make those throws. And it can be a big issue for, um, for this team that really needs to attack vertically. Like that's the missing component for this offense from being probably one of the best offenses like ever conceived is if they could just get balls down the field. Cause chunk mm-hmm. plays are how you win. And the easiest way to get a chunk play is to like beat a guy off the line, get open down the field, as opposed to having to manufacture it out of perfect blocking and, you know, incredible, like, 
playmaking after the catch. So I don't think it's super concerning as like a long-term prospect. I don't think it like, this is like the crack in arm in the armor that shows that Brock Purdy isn't actually a good quarterback. I just think it's one of those. He's not perfect. And this is where he might struggle a little more. So, you know, hopefully he gets it fixed. He'll probably end up being a guy who makes some of those misses some of those. It's all about, how you can get that percentage set up. Yeah. Um, it was that other quarterback. Did his name rhyme with Schnimmy Schmanopolo? Was that, was that guy? Maybe. Yeah. You know what? I, Maybe. I think so. Could it, be that best guy. that I can remember. Could be. <laughs> That's so long ago. <laughs> That's like four quarterbacks ago. Anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. It, it, it doesn't look like those are going to be like major parts of this offense. They never really have been, um, and, and the fact of the matter is he's hitting on, what did I see today? He's hitting on 83% of his intermediate throws so far this season in two games. So you'll take that, right? <laughs> um, if you can't hit the long ones, at least the intermediate ones are there. And with this, with this trio of, of receivers, really this triumphant, however many receivers that are available that can do things with the ball after the catch, um, that's probably more where this team is going to thrive anyway. That's where they've been thriving for years now um, is that short and intermediate area. And if he can hit on the high percentage just a little bit further down the field and not be overly dependent on the short stuff, then he'll like, I don't think he's going to maintain 83% throughout the rest of the season, but um, if he can maintain at a high clip, then they'll probably be in really good shape with this, with these, with this group moving forward. So. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he's so good at so many things right now that anytime you see a really glaring like mistake, I feel like it's easy to pounce on it because his play is kind of unbelievable, to be honest, right? I don't think I think it's still hard to really see Brock Purdy being this good in so many different ways. So when you see like even a small thing that points to like, oh, so this is why, you know, he was Mr. <laughs> Irrelevant. It's easy, easy to latch on to it, but yeah, I mean, especially, especially because he's, fun. yeah, especially because he seems to be, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this. I mean, it's two games, but he seems to be in more um, kind of control in the pocket. Like last year, and we talked about this at the end of last year, that he, he, he gets a little jittery. He would get a little jittery and kind of like escape faster than he needed to. Um, and he seems to be a little bit more willing to kind of hang in there. Um so maybe that's just like, you know, a little more, a few more reps and just kind of getting used to the speed of things. And that would be a, a perfectly admirable thing to to be able to do um, from this point forward. So, um, Akshaz, any, uh, any final thoughts on, on the Rams game before we pivot over to uh, Thursday Night Football? So I said off the air to you last week in our preview that if they don't win by double digits, I'm going to. But I'm going to be furious. That's true. That's and, true. you know, they didn't win by double digits, even though it's kind of a weird field goal that gets. I mean, they technically the did. That's stupid. Sean McVay <laughs> field goal at the end, whatever. <clears throat> I mean, I think it speaks more to the quality of this team that they were like, so like Vegas had them at like seven and a half favorites. and They won by seven, but they really would have won by ten. And every, I think the reaction is just like, oh, that was not very good. 
Like that was a bad game all around. Lots of issues. Are they really as good as we think they are? That's like the best problem to have when you basically play one of like so many things go wrong. Nothing seems to be firing and you still walk away with a seven point victory that really could have been a 10 point victory. So, you know, would I like them to be more consistent against the Giants? Yes, I think, especially like given how their competition, the Cowboys and the Eagles, will play the Giants. I think it's hard to really compare NFL games. It's, this is not how it works like in college where quality of victory and similar opponents matters that much. But, you know, the Giants got completely destroyed by the Cowboys week one. so. Obviously, it would be great to see the Niners, who are equally as good as the Cowboys, if not better, kind of showcase that same consistency they had against the Steelers, who played super well against the Browns, by the way. Like, like, I mean, I think good teams don't have to be at their best to win, and we saw that against the Rams, so no reason to be alarmed, but obviously you want them to be at their best every game. For sure. Um, so that's a, an excellent segue. Well done um, into the home opener on Thursday night football against the New York Giants who come in, come into the game with a just absolutely bonkers start to their season. Um, you mentioned the, the first game of the year where they lost 40 to nothing to the Cowboys um, on national television because people because the powers that be think that a lot of people like the Giants. It's probably true. I don't I don't quite understand it. Um, they've been mostly unwatchable for a really long time, and it's just kind of weird. Um, and then they proceeded to fall behind uh, the Arizona Cardinals 20, 20 to nothing at halftime. Um, and in fact, we're down 28 to 7 uh, heading into the final moments of the third quarter. And it was 28 to 14 at the end of the third quarter. Uh, when Saquon Barkley ran, uh, uh, capped off a 12-play drive uh, to to score and cut it to a two-point to a two-touchdown game, and then proceeded to score 17 points in the fourth quarter, um, including another uh, touchdown from Barkley, a touchdown from Isaiah Hodgkins, and a Graham Gano game-winning field goal with 19 seconds remaining to win the game over. Probably the worst team in the NFL um, by a fairly wide wide margin, um, and yet somehow they made it about as hard as it possibly could be. I think at one point during the game, again, I was sitting watching the the 49ers game, and, and they also had this game on, and I'm watching, and I'm like, how is this still happening? And I think I I sent out a a a, a tweet. I'm still calling it that. I don't care. Um, to something to the the extent of like if the Giants if the Giants lose to the Cardinals then the 49ers don't have to play on Thursday because the Giants should be relegated from the NFL. Um, they didn't they won but gosh man they didn't win very very uh um with a lot of gusto behind it. This is supposedly a playoff team um, from last year. I don't know I don't know they don't they don't they don't seem like a team that that is actually good. That's just me. I don't know. Yeah, um, and this is hard because I don't really want to come across as like absolutely taking it to like a team because you know everyone's pretty good, but I don't get it. I just don't understand the hype around them. I 
I think last year was a good example of everything going that can go right does go right. And then they played the flukiest of fluky, like 13, whatever, how many wins the Vikings had. Yeah, 13. There was the two, like, flukiest teams on the planet yeah. playing each other in the first round of the playoffs. And, <laughs> you know, they beat the Vikings, but the Vikings were probably not close to being that good. And then they faced, like, the real, I'd say, real playoff teams and the Eagles and just the most humiliating playoff loss, I'd say. Like, absurdly terrible. So, you know, with the Giants, Saquon Barkley's a stud. He's incredible. He's kind of the engine that makes everything go. They've added more weapons. Darren Waller came across from the Raiders. He's a great receiving tight end when he's healthy. They drafted Jalen Hyatt. And they have a good, they have a collection of receivers who are all kind of in that, probably like the guy you want to be your second, third receiver on your team. But they don't really have that alpha where you'd be like, yeah, I want you to be my number one option. But their offensive line really struggled against Dallas. It wasn't much better against the Cardinals. And their defense is super aggressive. Rink Martindale is known for just a ton of blitzes and a ton of pressures. But they're also kind of missing that elite piece there. They're a good team, I'd say. Like, they're a team of good, but they don't really have beyond Barkley, and I guess maybe Waller, great. And that offensive line plus Daniel Jones can lead to a lot of a lot of bad plays. <laughs> yes. Um, this is this is just – it's just a weird team, man. We we talked, I think um, – I don't know if we, we talked about that in the podcast, but we did mention, like, all the things that happened to them. I don't know if you saw this, but the all these things that happened, like, they got – they lost 40 to nothing. They got their – they got a kick return a, a kick blocked in return for a touch like six five or six things that have never happened to one team in a reg, in the whole of a regular season and they all happened to them in the first in the first game against the cowboys and then they had this like they almost almost they went what six 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 quarters without scoring a touchdown um and then somehow scored 31 points in the second half Against the Cardinals, who admittedly are probably again not not a very good team, um, but it's just it's just wild. Um, I don't know. You've uh, you mentioned Saquon Barkley a couple times. Um, there is, I don't know. It's uh, it's the initial report coming out of the game. So he went down with an injury late in um, in that win over the Cardinals. Uh, the initial report that came out was that it was going to be like three weeks um, with a with an ankle sprain not of the high ankle variety but just sort of the the standard um ankle sprain i don't know what you'd call it um but as of earlier today you know early this afternoon brian dable was like well we're not ruling him out yet i don't know um we'll see uh that is that is an interesting uh bit of gamemanship that 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 could be coming into play um Obviously, he's probably, as you noted, their most important offensive player. Um, if he's not able to go, then that's really going to going to put things into an interesting uh, perspective uh, from from their pers- from from the Giants. Um, they've got several pieces of their offensive line that are that are potentially um, that are in questionable mode right now. Uh, Bren Bredesen, Ben Bredesen, 
Um, a guard had a con- suffered a concussion on Sunday, so he'll be in the concussion protocol. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Andrew Thomas, their offensive tackle, uh, is questionable for for the game on Thursday, um, along with uh, wide receiver Wandale Robinson, who has a knee injury. He was limited um, in Tuesday's practice, such as it is. These short weeks are weird with this kind of thing. And then linebacker Aziz Aljulari, uh, also questionable uh, this week. Um, so it'll, I don't know, it, it, it's really the big thing to watch there is whether or not Barkley's going to play or not. Because uh, if he doesn't play, that really limits what the, what the, what the Giants are going to be able to do. Um, obviously old friend Matt Breida is on the team, but I mean, he ran the ball, I think once, um, against, uh, the Cardinals. It's just not, he, he hasn't been really a feature guy in a long time, really since he left the 49ers. Um, so I don't know. Daniel Jones is their, their next best running back, I guess. That's, that's um, a right. great way to put it. <laughs> It's true. I mean, based on, I'm looking at the numbers from Sunday, and he um, was on nine carries for 59 yards. So there you go. I don't I don't know if that's good or bad from their perspective. Um, yeah, but uh, I don't know. Let's uh, let's get into the the preview a little bit more, unless you have any more general thoughts to to get into. Uh, no, I think I think let's get into it. All right. Well then take it then what what why do we why should we feel good about this and why are the 49ers going to win uh so i say this and this is going to be the only thing i can say up until like week five is just talent i think the giants are um the giants are a good team obviously they're not playing very well they had like basically the spurt to start their season essentially in the second half of week two. Up until then, they were kind of zombie walking through it. But the Giants roster is a lot of, with the exception of, I'd say, like three guys in Barkley, Waller, and Andrew Thomas, is a lot of players who would be, like, perfectly suited to be, like, one step down on the depth chart from where they are. Like, their receivers would be perfect pieces if you had, like, an elite wide receiver one to kind of drive that attention. Their defense, all their edge rushers, Algo, Kayvon, Thibodeau has the chance to be a great edge rusher. Right now, he'd be great as your like second edge rusher when you have a guy like a Bosa or like a Watt. Everyone wants a Bosa or a Watt, but like a high caliber edge rusher there. Corners, same exact situation. I think if you want to get really specific into it, it's the offensive line for the Giants. The Cowboys pass rush, is like great with Micah Parsons, but and Demarcus Lawrence out there. But I would wager to say that, despite where you fall on the Parsons Bosa debate, obviously I think both of us are on Team Bosa in terms of who's the better player. Mm-hmm. Almost certainly the Niners have more high-end talent around those two players, just in sheer numbers, right? Like Armstead and Hargrave are better than the Cowboys' defensive tackles. Lawrence is probably better is better than Drake Jackson, but then you have the second waves and, you know, I think the Niners depth is very strong there and the giants could not block the Cowboys defensive line at all. Now, what does this mean? It means that we're going to watch like the most pristine blocking on Thursday night, because every time I mention something about an <laughs> offensive line being bad, they happen to play their best game, but 
I think if you're looking at these two teams, that's where the game will be won for the Niners is just, especially if there's no Barkley to really concern yourself with, tee off on Daniel Jones. Just make sure you have good rush lane integrity when he's like in the pocket, but they should be able to just dominate the trenches and make it a lapper. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's more or less where, where I am as well. I just, um, as you said, I think this Giants team, they had a weird season last year. Didn't they start off really, really poorly and then managed to, or was the other way around? I don't remember. Um, but they made the playoffs kind of fallen in, uh, you know, and and then as you noted, the, the weird game against the, the equally lucky Giants or Vikings. And it's, I, I just don't know, like, this doesn't feel like a team that's coming off of a playoff run and then is building and has built off of that. They sort of heaved money at Daniel Jones, who is equal parts kind of, I, I imagine from a Giants fan perspective, like frustrating, but also has these moments where occasionally he'll do things where you're like, oh, that's really cool. Um, but he was kind of the devil they knew. And so they stuck around with him. I guess that's the only explanation I can think of coming off his best season, but not really all that good of a season a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. So I just, n- there's n- nothing there outside of Barkley, as you noted, that really strikes a lot of fear in you, in you from a, from really either side of the ball. There's, you know, Darren Wall is a good player, but he's been really inconsistent over the last couple of years. Part of that's been injury, as you noted, but it's, you know, it's, that's, that's the way things are. Uh, they threw a lot of money at him, but you know he's probably not. He's definitely not even going to be the best tight end on the field on 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 Thursday. So it, it'll all come down to whether or not the the Niners can can force Daniel Jones to kind of do the things that he does when he's freaking out. Um, and you you kind of want to you you kind of can bank on that. You feel pretty comfortable banking on that given what happened against the Cowboys. And as you noted, the quality of this, this defensive line that the Niners have versus the one that the Cowboys do, you, you, you probably feel pretty confident about the 49ers putting a good amount of pressure on Daniel Jones and forcing him to kind of, cause he just, I don't know. He just doesn't look comfortable when, when things are com- are flying at him. And, and understandably like that's not a comfortable situation to be in, but at the same time, you know, they're just, that's that's what you want to do, and he puts the ball in harm's way a lot when that happens, and I think the 49ers could take advantage of that. Absolutely. I mean, I think he's the – so he got that four-year, $160 million deal. He's the type of quarterback that I think you franchise tag for a year and you don't even think twice about it. Mm-hmm. I know that was kind of what they were doing was a dual negotiation with Jones and Barkley, and he was kind of – Whoever we can get locked up, the other will tag. And it turned out they tag Barkley because they couldn't get an extension with him. But I think Jones is just that type of player where he's really like he has these moments where you're like, oh, this is why he was a first round pick and someone we can build our team around. But it's just not there all the time. But, you know, he does bring pose an interesting element that could pose a change-up to this 49ers defense, which is why in our one thing to look out for, I would have to say it's Daniel Jones's rushing ability. Ah, as, he yes. is, as he kind of quipped, <laughs> he is probably the Giants' best running back now that Barkley is hurt, if Barkley doesn't play. 
But beyond that, I mean, quarterbacks that can run with the ball just kind of stress a defense. Even Brock Purdy, who, like, as I kind of – I think I say every week now, is kind of sneaky athletic. He can, like, you give him enough space and you get a first down, you get positive yards otherwise, and it kind of derails a defense. And the Niners really struggle against quarterbacks who can run and read option. I think this is mostly because they kind of the way the defensive line is set up to go is just attack, attack, attack. It's not a very reactive system. So, you know, you don't really have the elements of, oh, shoot, like the quarterback has the ball. Or, oh, damn, I've, like, completely collapsed in the pocket and now there's a wide-open rush lane. But, you know, if the game, if the defensive line is getting home and there's a lot of pressure, Jones is going to start throwing some errant passes, but he's also going to start tucking and running it more. This isn't even mentioning, like, read option designed runs themselves, which the Niners have struggled with as well. And I think in the same way with the Rams game, like, if you could draw up how the Rams – would take advantage and beat the Niners. Offensively, it was very similar to like what we saw is, you know, eating up yards against a soft zone and just never being stressed about like how they had to get down the field. And for the Giants without without Barkley, it's almost certainly Daniel Jones just pulls out like a hundred and twenty yard rushing night and just completely gashes the Niners and takes advantage of a defensive line that sometimes doesn't really stop the quarterback from getting outside the pocket. So, you know, this is another one of those tests where we hopefully see Steve Wilkes have changed something and get them in a little better position. I don't know exactly how it'll go. I do think Drake Jackson will be huge for this, though. He's got that crazy athleticism that really helps when you have quarterbacks trying to get outside the pocket. Bosa's obviously like a physical specimen, but he lacks that like top-end speed and top-end athleticism that lets you basically chase down a quarterback who's getting out from you. It helps when you're trying to break down an offensive tackle, but I think Jackson might get a couple cleanup sacks just from Jones trying to make something out of nothing. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote down exactly the same thing. I just wrote running QBs. Um, <laughs> just that this is, that seems to be even as, as good as this defense has been over the last several years. Um, at times like that's that's the one thing that seems to be their bugaboo um, it's the reason why they had issue with with Russell Wilson through all the for all those years it's not not that he was a running quarterback but he was just sort of mobile and able to get away from 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 pressure in ways that just flummoxed this the the defense and um, Jones is not quite on that level I don't think um, but he's certainly capable of of creating problems in that particular case um, and so your goal is to kind of limit that as best you can. And some of that is creating pressure. And some of that is also putting, uh, you know, making your, 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 your lanes uh, contained um, and making sure that everything's covered there. And I don't know if that means that they, that there's going to be a, a, is it, is it enough that they're, that they're going to present like a spy situation? I, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's that level. I could see, like, if they knew for sure that Saquon Barkley wasn't playing, I could see them thinking about that, right? Um, because now you're now you're looking at, at Daniel Jones as like their main rushing threat. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. Uh, just, then you could see a situation where it's like, okay, we got to have eyes on him all the time. Um, I don't know if you sacrifice a defender in that way in on the off chance that Barkley does play, um, 
but it will be something to watch out for. And it could be a situation, as you were alluding to, where if if the Giants are going to stay in this, that's the recipe. Like they are able to sort of chunk plays um, and and sort of put the the Niners defense in, in stressful situations. Um, yeah, uh, that that is that's that's funny how we keep coming up with some of these same answers that are um, that are concerning to us. But um, yeah, I mean, I, he's certainly not on on the level of like he's no Lamar Jackson or anything or anything even remotely close to that. But he's he's athletic and 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 mobile enough that he can cause problems if you're not watch out watching out for him. Yeah, I think he's um. It's I think it's the same thing. It's where like if the Giants win, there's no world where the Giants win and Jones is like twenty seven for twenty nine with like three fifty and three tutties. Like I just it can't happen. I'm like it can it happen? Yes, but it can't happen. It just can't <laughs> happen. I it, it, right. I it won't happen. So I think you know, you're kind of in a place where what are they good at and what are you bad at? It's the rushing ability. It's crazy that Matt Breida kind of is where he is right now because, you know, Breida was like, I still remember that touchdown he had against the Browns in 2019. It was like 70, like 84 yards to the house. He's like, he's fast. He's got that straight line speed like nobody else except Mostert, which was crazy kind of one-two combination they had back there for a little bit but Mm -hmm. you know he's not i think he's the type of running back the niners can handle just because he's not going to make you miss as much as he's going to like get around you but if you have like seven guys swarming to the football it's hard to run past all seven of them so it really does come down to stopping daniel jones also love how a, we're not concerned about the offense against the Giants defense at all. Yep, I mean the Cardinals just put up twenty eight points. That's <laughs> <laughs> all, all I gotta say. Um, yeah, I mean this offense is pretty much pretty pretty much humming. Like for the most part, it's doing more or less whatever it wants to do so far through two weeks. You know, there was some struggles in the third quarter against the Rams, but by and large, they've been just pretty. I don't know. It was that it was the drive like at the end of the the first half, right, where they got the ball mm-hmm. and they just went, we're we need a touchdown here to not make this first half just a complete disaster, and they just did it. Like, I didn't, I don't know about you, but I didn't I didn't I mean it got a little uncomfortable toward the end when they got the ball really close and then it was like, okay, what are we doing? Why are we messing around here? And then when Shanahan was like, I don't, there's one second left on the clock. And we're on the one yard line. Guess what? We're scoring a touchdown. I don't care what you say. Like at that point, I was like, okay, cool. You guys are good, just good. Like it's fine, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I don't know how you felt about that, but that was that was my thought. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we feel real good about the offense, then, do we? I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> you good? No, I mean, they're. Um... That's another thing. Sorry, this is turning into a little bit of a random tangent, but Shanahan going for that third and goal from the half yard line was the moment, like, for me, like, he said all the things about Purdy. I was like, oh, he, like, Purdy is his guy because dude, Shanahan with Garoppolo, <laughs> no way that happens. That's not even a slight to Garoppolo. That's just, like, Shanahan 
being Shanahan, but you know, every pass they were throwing, I was like, okay, they're just trying to cut some, cut some time, but they went for it. I didn't think they'd sneak Purdy too because elbow and all that and like protecting yeah. him, but it was impressive. they really went for it. Yeah. And he went right through Like he, nobody really even touched him. He just kind of slid through. Um, yeah, I'm I'm all there. Uh, just want to note, since leaving San Francisco after the 2019 season, Matt Breida has rushed for 254, 125, 100, and 220 yards um, in Miami, Buffalo, and with the Giants last year. He, was, he played all 17 games last year with the Giants and ran, carried the ball 54 times. So, that's a bummer. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's wrap this thing up because this has been a an exceedingly long episode as expected. But, you know, that's what happens when you have to basically to do two podcast episodes in one. Um, so let's let's predict this game so far. We predicted a close game that turned into a blowout and we predicted a blowout that turned into a close game. So what are we going to do this time? Akjaz? You go first. <laughs> you know, I really because well, I think the spread is like minus 10 too. like. There's no, there's like, this is supposed to be a blowout, but, um, I'm going to say, and it's the home openers. Everyone's amped up. Give me, um, 35 to 13. I think it has to be a blowout because like, I can't see any other way. And I also think the Niners offense is going to score 30 and, If Daniel Jones gets more, I'm saying this on air this time. If Daniel Jones and the Giants offense without Saquon, with Saquon, I don't know, probably like 24, like 17 or something. But without Saquon, if they score two touchdowns against the 49ers, I don't know what I'm going to say next week because, <laughs> man, man, oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, the line is 10, according to ESPN, um, and that's from Caesar's Sportsbook, with an over-under of 44.5, for those of you who are keeping track at home. Um, so I'm going to say bet bet the uh, bet the 10, and then I'm going to say, hold on, quick math, uh, bet the under, because I'm going to go 30, 35 to 7. Yeah, there oh. we go. Oh boy. You gave him three extra points. Oh, sorry, six extra <laughs> <did>. points. <laughs> so you don't come at me like like I'm making crazy things. Um, yeah, I just don't I don't know. And and maybe this is me expecting thinking that the whole Saquon Barkley thing is really just truly games gamesmanship and that he has and that the three weeks was really the most accurate thing. Um and if that is actually true then yeah, I just don't, I don't know how, how this offense, it'll be way too one dimensional. And, um, and that just, I just don't know how that happens. I mean, just look at, uh, it just, it just seems like it's not going to work. Um, and so I'm going big and that I'll feel good about it. And my only, my only issue is that it's Thursday night and Thursday night games are weird. Um, but other than that, but that would be weird. Like a 35, seven, just absolute destruction on national television all of a sudden would be a little strange, but not for the giants who already lost 40 to nothing on national television once already this year. So sorry, not sorry. Giants fans. Anyway, actually <laughs> any final <laughs> thoughts before we wrap up this thing. Um, just that 
I really want them to blow the Giants out. It's nothing against the Giants, but, you know, as, like, a fan, as opposed to someone who's, like, looking at this objectively, when the Cowboys lay a 40 spot on him, you're like, okay, how are we going to do better? Like, what are we going to do now? So it would be perfect if after the Cowboys have been – Cowboys fans have been talking so much about how well they played against the Giants. The Niners come in and just evaporate them. Plus, it's the home opener. If you're in the Bay, try to get to the game if you can. If that works for you, be loud, be proud. Mm-hmm. Make a lot of noise because, you know, Levi South was big time for the Niners. It would, it would be the worst if the Niners' least right, raucous environment is their home stadium. So, I don't know. It's It'll be a fun game, and it's coming up early, so that's exciting. Get to watch the Niners sooner than, rather than later. Indeed. And we can just enjoy our Sunday, as you were alluding to before we started recording, which will be nice. Um, all right. Well, good words, as always, uh, Akshaz, to close us out. Um, so thanks uh, to you, and thanks, as always, for the listeners for listening to this episode of the Niner Noise podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Please, as always, continue to check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. And be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And, of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers. (laughs) 